I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, you may be aware that San Francisco is engaged in a polarizing debate over how to fight crime. In some ways, that's nothing new. Longtime residents and aging reporters like myself will remember big fights that go back years over issues like the death penalty, marijuana club busts, and gang curfews. But the attempted recall of District Attorney Chase Boudin has become a test for the city. His supporters see a champion for reforming an overly punitive and racist criminal justice system, while his opponents believe his approach is too permissive, contributing in particular to the city's high rate of theft. To dig in, the Chronicle's Susie Nielsen obtained a bunch of data on what are known as charging rates. When the San Francisco Police Department arrests someone and brings a case to Chase Boudin, how often does his office file charges? Later on the show, reporter Rachel Swan will join me to talk specifically about the uptick in home burglaries and bike thefts in San Francisco. But first, welcome to Susie Nielsen, a reporter at The Chronicle. Susie, what did you find when you looked into the district attorney's charging rates? We got data from the district attorney's office on Boudin's charging rates for 64 different crime types, along with his data for his predecessor, George Gascon. And we found that under Boudin and during the pandemic, because he took office right before the pandemic began, there has been a significant shift in the district attorney charging rates in San Francisco. And those shifts parallel what Boudin has said he would do as a district attorney back when he campaigned in 2019. So in 2019, he pledged to no longer prosecute quality of life crimes like prostitution, lower level drug offenses, and that he would shift prosecution efforts from petty theft cases and other lower level property crimes and focus more on violent crimes like rape and homicide. And we found that the charging rates reflect that. So his charging rates for rape cases are higher than his predecessor, but they're lower for theft cases and other lower level offenses. Okay, we'll get into that in detail. But first, what's a charging rate and why is this a data set that's worth looking at? Basically, the way that the prosecutorial process works is that when a person gets arrested for a crime by a police department, they can then decide to present the district attorney's office with that arrested person, along with the evidence that they have on the person. And then the district attorney's office has a period of time to decide whether or not they want to charge the arrested person with a crime. They can also take a number of other actions. They can refer the person to something like community service. They can request that the department, the police department investigate further. They can dismiss the charges um, or they can dismiss the case. But uh, the charging rate is basically the number of cases the district attorney's office says, okay, we have enough evidence in this case to convince a jury that this person is guilty of this crime. So, um, yeah, what makes it really interesting is that, uh, you know, charging rates also reflect a district attorney's priorities. So they can say, you know, we have the resources to file charges in these particular cases. These are the cases we believe are important and merit jail or prison time. And so we're going to focus our charging efforts on these cases. So it can reflect what a DA cares about. It can also reflect what they believe is a high enough standard of evidence. And finally, charging rates can reflect a lot of other things about a community, like, you know, the types of crimes being committed in an area and the strength of the evidence that police have in a given period of time. All right. First, theft. Obviously, it's a problem in San Francisco. San Francisco has high rates 
of theft that go back many years. It gets a lot of attention. What did you find for theft charging? Yeah, so we found that um, under Boudin, first of all, police are presenting fewer theft cases. And this is likely due to one big reason and one slightly probably less important reason. The big reason is that theft actually has decreased over the pandemic, uh, according to police incident data. So people have been reporting fewer thefts over the course of the pandemic. So naturally, police will present fewer theft-related arrests when there are fewer theft crimes happening. Secondly, it's very possible that because Boudin has explicitly stated that he's less likely to charge thefts, um, police will present fewer theft cases because they don't believe he'll charge them. And sure enough, when we look at the charging rates for Boudin's office, we find that theft and petty theft cases are being charged at lower rates, which means his office is dismissing more of those cases. So we also actually got data from the office on how many of the cases they do charge lead to convictions. And we found that of the cases that his office does charge, which are already fewer than his predecessor, fewer of those cases are leading to convictions um, in court. All right. So there's a big contingent in the city, and you see it a lot on social media, people saying, be tougher on these property crimes, these theft cases. What does Boudin say about why he doesn't charge more of them? So Boudin said that in particular, the reason that his office is charging so many fewer thefts over the pandemic is that the San Francisco court system essentially shut down at the beginning of the pandemic and continues to operate at a lower capacity. So his office is prioritizing violent crimes, higher level crimes, just because the resources are so strapped. But also I think his philosophy is that incarceration does not necessarily deter crime. And arresting lots of people for these petty cases where they're not violent does not necessarily make the city safer and it doesn't necessarily lower crime rates. And so his office has been focused on diverting a lot of theft cases towards things like neighborhood courts where people who commit thefts are instructed to perform community service or provide financial restitution to a victim. Um, The other thing that he would say, I think, um, which I've heard from other folks too, is that police arrest such a small share of people who commit thefts that the district attorney's charging rates don't matter all that much because such a small percentage of people who steal in San Francisco are actually caught by police. All right, let's move on to one of those much more serious crimes, rape. What is happening with rape charging in the city? So when he was campaigning in 2019, uh, Boudin said that he was going to bring a larger share of rape cases to trial. He was going to charge more rape cases, even if it meant that he would lose more of those cases because he strongly believed in the rights of victims of sexual violence. And the data is showing that. It's showing that he is charging a higher share of cases of sexual assault and rape, but also that his office's conviction rates for rape are lower than George Gascon's. And that can mean potentially that they're choosing to file charges in cases with lower standards of evidence. And it could mean that just in general, the cases have lower standards of evidence. But I believe it does reflect one of his office's stated priorities. I want to ask you about one more, and that is drug cases. San Francisco is in a Mm -hmm. fentanyl epidemic. We're seeing a huge number of overdoses, a tragedy on the streets. What's going on with those cases? Boudin's charging rates for 
drugs cases. This is actually, I think, one of the things that surprised me most about the data because Boudina said he would not prosecute narcotics cases um, in the same way as his predecessors. So he wouldn't be, you know, charging lower level drug offenders on the streets, for example. And the data actually shows that his charging rates for drugs cases have increased compared to his predecessor. But it also shows that police are presenting a lot fewer drug cases to him in 2020 and 2021. And so when we asked Boudin about this, he said basically that police are only presenting him with more serious drug offenders. And so he's trying to charge more of those drug offenders because they often are, you know, drug dealers that have a lot of connections and networks. And he's trying to kind of stamp out those connections, basically. Um, and the SFPD, when we asked them about this, they said that they have been arresting similar numbers of people for drug offenses in the Tenderloin. But the DA's office data shows that, you know, the police have been presenting fewer of those cases to them over the last couple of years. Susie, let's wrap it up there. It's a fascinating analysis. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back on Fifth and Mission with Rachel Swan. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support this show and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, now joined by Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan. Rachel, we've been talking about San Francisco's debate about crime, and you've been following one particular case that's unfortunately pretty common these days, and that's two bicycles stolen from a home in the Castro. First, tell us what happened. Well, this was a home in the Castro, three-unit Victorian. Two bicycle thieves are in the rummaging through the garage. They wake one of the residents up in the middle of the night. He goes down with a baseball bat. Uh, By that time, they are nowhere to be found, but police actually managed to find these guys on 7th and Market Streets and arrest them. All right, so Rachel, we know burglary has been a problem in San Francisco. To some degree, that's a shift from the car break-ins that we used to see during the pandemic, but you know, you usually follow much more serious cases. Why are you digging into a home burglary case? Because these are two guys that have significant history specifically of burglary. And this is something that's been very contentious in uh, San Francisco. How do we deal with people who commit a crime that is, uh, you know, not violent in the sense that anyone gets injured, but it's like a pretty serious crime and it's a repeat crime. You know, so um, what we know from documents is that one of these guys has been arrested seven times on suspicion of burglary since 2019, and the other has been arrested 13 times since 2013 on suspicion of burglary. Uh, So here we have repeat serial offenders, and uh, the big debate in San Francisco is what is the best solution? All right, so these guys are picked up downtown, the suspects in this case. They're taken to jail. The case goes to Chase Aboudin's office. What happens next? He files charges. The two men, if convicted, are now facing up to six years in prison. One of them is in jail. However, the other one has already been released on electronic monitoring. And meanwhile, we have this raging debate in the Castro and other parts of the city uh, because people are still getting burglarized and um, 
you know, everyone's frustrated. Nobody knows quite what to do. And they just feel like the city isn't helping. All right. So the one defendant was released. What was the district attorney's position on that release? It was a little strange. We had a situation where at the arraignment, the prosecutor who was at the arraignment did not object to the release. However, at a subsequent hearing, there was a different prosecutor who did object to the release and who said that, you know, the new position was because the district attorney had read the probation report and subsequently decided that this person should remain in jail. Um, The judge wasn't buying that, or at least what I got from reading the court transcripts. Uh, We do know that between the arraignment and the subsequent court hearing was when the Chronicle started asking questions about the case. Gotcha. Okay, so there's still going to be a lot of questions about what these two should face ultimately, right? Should they, to what degree they should be rehabilitated, whether they should be in jail, and ultimately what sentence they should get. Yeah, and I mean, within the district attorney's office, there are debates over what should be done with suspects for these types of crimes, you know, and even, you know, when we started asking questions, a spokesperson for the district attorney said, yes, we would be open to alternatives to incarceration if we're presented with a viable plan, you know, and one alternative could be if they're found to be burglarizing because they're addicted to substances, maybe they could go to drug court and enter some kind of drug treatment program, you know, but I mean, I've talked to some residents who just don't buy it anymore. They're like, if you've committed seven burglaries, 10 burglaries, 13 burglaries, 20 burglaries, at some point you need to just be incarcerated. Okay, gotcha. Well, let's go out to that neighborhood. I mean, it's not just about following these criminal cases, right? I mean, people are seeing bikes stolen. Um, They're hardening their homes. They're trying to decide how to keep themselves from being victims. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is kind of interesting. It's like, you know, Castro, it's it's almost like an indication of how much people have lost faith in the system to help help them. I mean, really, you know, what I heard from one resident is his whole block is putting up, you know, surveillance cameras and locks on the windows and trimming back their shrubs. And they're doing this weird thing where they have like these fake TVs. You know, it's not a real TV, but it's kind of the illusion of a TV inside. So people think you're home. Um, So they're doing all these things. And the whole idea is to send burglaries to the next block. He actually said that, you know, so don't burglarize our block. Go to, you know, the people one block over. Rachel, I wanted to ask you about a resident of Mission Dolores, Justin Forth, who you spoke to. You said that he'd been broken into multiple times, I think lost multiple bikes. Yeah. So this guy uh, I talked to, Justin, he and his fiance lost bikes multiple times. Their apartment complex was broken into multiple times and they lost bicycles each time and all, as well as a trailer that they used to take their dog to the park. And uh, so he told me that one day he's actually ironically walking through the Castro to meet the supervisor, the district supervisor for lunch. And he passes by this encampment for unhoused people and he sees his bike and his trailer that he has filed police reports about. You know, and so he calls the police and they come and he says, hey, this is like your nightmare, right? He's like, hey, dude, this is my bike. This is my trailer, you know, and it's sitting here. And can you can you retrieve it? You are an officer. And uh, the police officer says, you know what? We believe you. 
we have your reports, but we can't do anything because we just don't have enough proof that this is your bike, you know? And so it's kind of on you to seize your bike back. <laughs> so did he? He did not. He said in the end, he just didn't. I mean, you know, I don't know what I would have done. It's to be honest, it's like hard to say, but he said he didn't want the drama of like stealing a bike back from an unhoused person. But he just described this like just incredibly frustrating situation where he's sitting there staring at someone else with his bike and um, an officer is standing beside him and saying he can't do anything. Rachel Swan, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Damien. I really appreciate it. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporters Susie Nielsen and Rachel Swan. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.